Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. After Israel won the Six-Day War of 1967 and gained control over all of Jerusalem and the entire west bank of the Jordan River, it set out to distinguish between East Jerusalem, held until then by Jordan, and the rest of the West Bank. East Jerusalem was annexed by Israel and its Palestinian population given residency status, granting them health and social benefits similar to citizens. However, the rest of the West Bank, as well as the Gaza Strip, remained in limbo. Israel's desire to separate Jerusalem from the larger Palestinian issue did not prove successful, as there are cynical eruptions of violence in the Jewish state's capital, and the question of its inclusion in Palestinian Authority elections is a perennial problem between Israelis, Palestinians, and the international community. To analyze the question of Jerusalem in light of recent tensions as well, we are joined from central Israel by Colonel in Reserve Miri Eisen, who is an Israeli public diplomacy, security, and intelligence expert at the Institute for Counterterrorism at IDC Herzliya. Thank you for joining us. Shalom. Also joining us from elsewhere here in Jerusalem is Professor Ephraim Inbar, who is the president of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security. Thank you for joining us as well. Shalom to everybody. And with me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding with regard to the latest developments uh, pertaining to the tensions that uh, were reported on in recent weeks. So in recent weeks, um, there were uh, two flare-ups. One, uh, one may, may call, as you said, uh, a cyclical eruption um, because uh, of some problems between the uh, police which is in charge in Jerusalem, rather than the military, the army, uh, which is in charge uh, in the West Bank, because uh, it is not part of sovereign Israel. The police and uh, Palestinian youth, especially during the month of Ramadan, uh, they uh, usually congregate um, in some particular spots, and there were clashes between the um, uh, youth, the Palestinian youth and the police. And after a few days, um, uh, the tensions uh, come down. But the larger issue has to do with the elections in the Palestinian Authority, which uh, may have been postponed uh, by now. But as long as they were on the table, we have seen a repeat of what happened here exactly 15 years ago. In 2006, a year or so after the death of Yasser Arafat, the um, Bush administration pressed Israel to have uh, Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, hold elections in the West Bank, Gaza, and East Jerusalem. Now, Abbas indicated to Israel that he wants Israel to forbid the elections in East Jerusalem so that uh, Hamas will use it as a pretext to ban the elections or to, to forgo their own participation, which would have given Abbas a clear victory in these um, semi-aborted elections. But Israel did not take the hint. Elections were held uh, and Hamas won, which is how the, the whole separation of Gaza from the West Bank started. So here we are again, 
15 years later, the same issue uh, is here again with Hamas demanding that East Jerusalem uh, be part of the elections. Israel saying no, it is a sovereign part of uh, Israel. Nobody, perhaps except uh, the uh, Trump administration, to some extent, recognized this annexation. But uh, nevertheless, we cannot allow Palestinians to participate in elections to some other authority. And that uh, has caused another flare-up, this time with rockets from Gaza and some terror acts in the West Bank. So in addition to what we all remember, the Jordanian um, attention to what is happening in, in East Jerusalem, especially in the holy places on Temple Mount. In addition to that, there is the problem of Palestinian politics. Indeed. Uh, Colonel Eisen, I'd like to hear your take on this. Uh, from discussions that I had, even though uh, the Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas, did uh, cite Jerusalem as the reason for postponing the elections, which uh, caused a flare-up, uh, there were various discussions behind closed doors which uh, indicated that uh, Israel was willing to allow for uh, such uh, polls to be opened, uh, specifically if they also are uh, both residents of Jerusalem and uh, considered to have uh, uh, so-called citizenship of uh, the Palestinian Authority. Uh, but uh, the Palestinians were clearer this time around uh, in Ramallah about the fact that they would not like to have uh, this uh, take place, uh, especially for the main cause was the polls indicated yet again uh, a Hamas victory, uh, not only in the Gaza Strip, but in the West Bank. And then this would uh, completely abolish uh, the legitimacy of the Palestinian Authority and the rule of the Fatah faction, uh, which uh, currently controls that territory there. How do you see all of this uh, evolve and uh, more so the matter of sovereignty over Jerusalem and the cynical use of uh, this dispute uh, for political gains uh, on both sides to a certain degree? Well, Jonathan, I greatly appreciate that at the end you said political gains on both sides. The cynicism here is slightly double-edged. The East Jerusalemites closing in rapidly to 400,000 people, half of those are under the age of 25. They are Israeli residents. As you said, they get the health benefits, they get the education, they get the social welfare. They are not citizens. They do not hold citizenship of the state of Israel. Israel does not, in that sense, give them citizenship. It is not an easy process for them to apply and get it. They can, but it is not easy, and they don't do so. They see themselves in their own eyes as part of whatever they see as a future within the Palestinian world. And the terminology here is challenging. So you have a very large, young, angry men population in Jerusalem. They're angry. They're coming out. And now you get to the excuse in that sense. Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas did not seem to want these elections. But to me, Israel supplied him with his case to not doing the elections. I'm not saying that I am for or against the elections. It's like we also play with that sort of issue. But for the young Palestinians in Jerusalem right now, they don't have a future in Israel. They cannot vote 
in the Palestinian arena because Israel is uncomfortable with that and Hamas would probably win and that makes everybody uncomfortable. So you're left with a complex situation. And the last point is the way, from my point of view, the Israeli police view what I call angry young men because they're viewed overwhelmingly as a threat. When you look for a threat, you're going to put up checkpoints. You're going to stop them. You're going to check them. It's the month of Ramadan, which we haven't yet mentioned, which brings it all to height. It's a an honor to go up to Al-Aqsa, to the compound. They want to go there, and the police are aligning themselves, and I understand them, but I can also see how this would be perceived in a very negative way, where the police are looking at it as a, a threat, a security threat. Young angry men, mad at Abu Mazen, mad at the state of Israel, mad at the police for putting up um, things that stop them from arriving at Al-Aqsa. What a combination in the month of Ramadan. Indeed. Professor Inbar, I'd, I'd like to ask you, um, as personally, I, I regard Jerusalem the moment uh, a sovereign state asserts its sovereignty uh, or laws on a territory, it should also apply its uh, uh, responsibilities on that same territory. And uh, other than the fact that uh, the, the deliberations regarding the annexation, so to speak, of uh, the West Bank were subsided, it's the same question here. Why doesn't Israel um, basically say, okay, this population lives here. It's not Israeli because it didn't receive uh, Israeli citizenship, but at the same time, it causes a, uh, a lot of, of issues and it prolongs a dispute, which uh, also fuels and assists those who do not recognize uh, Israeli sovereignty over the eastern part of Jerusalem, including the most holy uh, uh, places of the Temple Mount and, and uh, the surrounding areas of the Old City. Why isn't Israel moving to, to rectify this, this situation? First of all, I think that Israel is reluctant to allow elections within the Palestinian territories that organizations such as Hamas is participating. This organization, as we all know, is against the mere existence of the state of Israel. Moreover, its participation in the election contravenes the Oslo Accords. The Palestinians have signed on the Oslo Accords making it clear that they will not allow uh, any organization that is against the courts and against the state of Israel to participate. This is one issue. Second, if the Palestinians want to uh, hold uh, elections and uh, allow uh, uh, citizens of Jerusalem to participate, there are other mechanisms. They can vote by mail. There are other ways to, to vote. By the way, I'm not sure... Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but I have the impression that a rather low number of Palestinians participated in the former elections of 2006. So they don't go to elections. They don't go also in municipal elections, despite the fact they have a right to, to do so. Second, I think that uh, it is wrong to uh, see the uh, Arabs in Jerusalem as uh, a clear part of the Palestinian uh, body politics. They have uh, developed a separate entity, identity, particularly uh, since uh, Israel established a, a security barrier. 
uh, were uh, basically they were disconnected from uh, the rest of the West Bank. And what we see uh, over time that they have uh, a, an identity, uh, a complex identity. They obviously identify as Arabs. To some extent, they uh, part of them the, uh, identify as Palestinians. Part of them uh, are Islamists, and they have a different uh, identity. And the majority of them, I would say, 60 to 70 percent, simply want to live their life as normal as possible. And we see over time an Israelization process. Basically, all Arabs in East Jerusalem are fully integrated in the Israeli economy. And uh, they like uh, this uh, fact. Moreover, we see a growing number uh, studying Hebrew because they understand that uh, access to the labor uh, market uh, necessitates the language of Hebrew. Uh, I would, there are also uh, growing numbers. 50% of the high school students in Jerusalem are uh, participating in schools according to the Israeli curriculum, not the Palestinian curriculum. And uh, actually those numbers are growing. We cannot meet the demands uh, because uh, we don't have enough classes. Uh, we make an effort. Obviously, we want them uh, to become more Israeli. Uh, there is a growing number that apply for citizenship. And indeed, it is a process uh, which is complicated. And of course, we have to make all the security uh, checks in order to make sure that we don't have you know, citizens that uh, have uh, Uh, connections to terrorist uh, organization. And it's, uh, you know, those guys that are uh, fighting the police uh, in the evening, uh, and some of them are angry, obviously they are young. In the morning, they go and study Hebrew. In the morning, they are uh, participating in the Israeli labor market, having Israeli friends. And indeed, it's not an easy uh, situation. But uh, I wouldn't paint, uh, you know, all of them in dark colors as angry anti-Israeli people. Uh, it is uh, not an easy situation, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, life is uh, complex in, in, in many ways, and we try our best to manage the situation. And indeed, after the police uh, removed some of those uh, barriers in the Nablus Square, uh, things uh, became uh, quieter. Actually, erected, no, however, for a reason as well. Fine. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Ogan, I'd like to ask you, though. Uh, Israel has uh, uh, ratified into law, voted upon in Parliament in the 80s, uh, Jerusalem as the indivisible capital uh, of the Jewish state. Uh, and uh, by doing so, it declared that Jerusalem is off the table, something that Uh, was later recognized by the Trump administration, the former U.S. administration, which moved it to uh, transfer its embassy into uh, Jerusalem. And, uh, of course, it uh, led other countries to follow, even though up until now the majority of the international community does not recognize uh, this reality as such. Why doesn't Israel move? We hear both Colonel Eisen and Professor Rinbal speaking about the complexities of East Jerusalem. If I would look at a city which I regard legally as indivisible, shouldn't all of its citizens, uh, all of its residents have citizenship uh, of the country which I 
uh, decided to take it into. So uh, to follow up uh, on what uh, Miri and Ephraim said, first of all, regarding the elections, the Palestinians don't need elections. We had four. Hopefully, we are not going to have a fifth round of elections <laughs> over two years. It's enough. They can learn from our lesson and uh, forget about the elections. Now, Jerusalem, as um, a divided city and as a controversial issue, had several rounds. Uh, obviously, the United Nations did not recognize Jerusalem as part of Israel because of Resolution 181 in uh, November of 1947, which regarded Jerusalem as a corpus separatum, a separate entity. And only in the early 50s did Ben-Gurion there move his own office, the prime minister's office, the foreign ministry, the president's mansion, and the Knesset from either Tel Aviv or Rehovot, where President Weizmann resided, to Jerusalem. And there were fears of retribution from the United Nations. The UN was considered a very powerful organ uh, during uh, those years. Later, of course, it turned out not um, to be so. So this was the first phase. What President Trump did uh, only um, a few years ago was recognize the reality of 1950, not of the year 2020, by moving the embassy to West Jerusalem, saying nothing about the boundaries of Jerusalem, and indicating that he is following in the steps of Vladimir Putin, who preceded him by saying that he recognizes West Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and hopefully there will be a Palestinian state whose capital will be East Jerusalem. So moving the embassy itself uh, does not mean that uh, there is a solution recognized by the world. And obviously now we have the Biden administration, which is yet to pronounce on this issue. Now, regarding the uh, three to 400,000 Palestinians, as uh, Miri mentioned, residing in Jerusalem, one wonders why they do not take part in the municipal elections. They don't have to recognize the state of Israel in order to have a major voice in electing a mayor and a council here in town in order to take part, to take, to take care of their problems. Perhaps what we see on the national stage right now with Mansour Abbas, not Mahmoud Abbas, Mansour Abbas and the, his Islamist party, perhaps this portends that they will change their view and that they will participate. Now, obviously, Israel doesn't want almost half a million more Palestinians having uh, voting rights uh, to the Knesset. Israel is doing uh, its very best uh, not to take in refugees. So um, all of a sudden, it will declare uh, so many Palestinian citizens. This runs against the logic of Israel's uh, policy. But there will come a day when it will be done. And the last point is, what is Jerusalem? Geographically, not as an idea. Originally, it was supposed to include Bethlehem and Bejala, and perhaps go all the way to Ramallah. This was the original idea when it was supposed to be a separate entity. Now, having Bethlehem and Bejala made sense because they had many Christian residents. The problem is, in the late 60s and early 70s, the Israeli government offered incentives to many Palestinians to emigrate from their towns 
to South America and Germany and other places. And most of those who took up the offer were Christians. So there is a Muslim majority now uh, in these places, and it doesn't make sense to include these the towns in the geographical boundaries of what we call Jerusalem. Even though that w wasn't the only reason, and there are plenty of other reasons, including uh, the fact that a Christian minority doesn't always live in peace uh, within the boundaries of various cities here in the region. But uh, I'd like to uh, ask you, Colonel Eisen, uh, to what degree is the, the question of Jerusalem? And of course, Jerusalem, when we speak about Jerusalem, there is the greater Jerusalem and there is the heart of Jerusalem, which is the old city uh, and uh, the Temple Mount in its midst. How does the international community regard it? And more on a regional scale, is it a question that steers challenges? For instance, it does so between Jordan and Israel, but beyond that, is it a symbol uh, for trying to somehow uh, challenge Israel's uh, so-called sovereignty over this territory? The Holy Basin, the Holy Basin is the possibility for what I would think of as world peace and for World War III. The Holy Basin, which includes the holy sites, the term in Arabic for Jerusalem, Al-Quds, and not Ul Shalim. And I, I say that for, in that sense, our, our viewers, those who are listening to us, that there are, you know, a billion, or on closing in on two billion Muslims in the world, over two billion Christians in the world. And I say Jerusalem, and I think of what it means. And I say Al Quds, and Al Quds for Muslims means something else. And in that sense, the regional implications, the international implications, Jerusalem is a focus. I'd like to think of it as a positive one. It's a question, Jonathan, that I would ask every person to think. Who gets the honor? It's an honor to be the custodian of the holy places. To me, it's clear that Israel has done an immense job in allowing and enabling anybody to be able to worship in the way that they want in the holy city of Jerusalem. Others would see it differently. And these gaps of looking at it as Jerusalem, as looking at it of the three religions, of looking at it as Israel, on the one hand, we're, we're, we're being, I don't want to say too nice, but there are voices inside Israel that want to change the status quo of the holy places um, religiously. And those are voices. They haven't changed them in Israel, but the voices are there. So I ask that question as that trigger, who gets the honor? We've taken it. We've been responsible. We've done it, I think, in an amazing way. It doesn't make it any less complicated for the rest of the world. Nevertheless, freedom of worship is not necessarily observed in every part of Jerusalem, including on the Temple Mount, where uh, Muslims are the only ones allowed to worship on that uh, uh, piece of land, as opposed to non-Muslims who are only allowed to visit, preserving the status quo antebellum, you know, Latin for the way it was before the war, doesn't always necessarily mean that uh, the justices within the norms of today's age are truly in line with what it was before that war, which was, uh, of course, under Islamic rule, uh, which... Uh, 
did not allow everyone to visit and pray at those uh, various sites. Professor There's no Inbal, question whatsoever that that's a challenge. Indeed. Uh, Professor Inbal, what can Israel do in order to alleviate those various tensions? Uh, of course, as a, a religious person, uh, you you know also the, the physical as well as the spiritual dimensions to such a reality. But on a um, uh, deconfliction aspect of the city of Jerusalem, at a time when it's declaratively uh, asserted its sovereignty, even legally so, but in practice... Uh, the sovereignty over the city of Jerusalem is carved between many nations, uh, with uh, churches being part of different countries around the world. Uh, I happen to live on Russian soil, and uh, other people here in the city live on Greek soil or French soil or, or other countries. H how do you see the sovereignty actually within all those complexities which you spoke about earlier being resolved in a manner that is uh, civilized and is capable of uh, uh, basically uh, establishing a nature that would be peaceful for its residents? First of all, I would like to point out, as uh, Miraizen did uh, very well, that uh, only Israel is capable of uh, providing freedom of uh, worship uh, to all religions. Uh, it didn't happen before, and uh, seeing the record of uh, Arab countries uh, in this area, I'm not very optimistic that anybody else can do it as, as well as we are doing it. Second, you know, the issue of sovereignty is very simple. It boils down who is a policeman, who is able to uh, uh, arrest a person that misbehaves. That's simple. And uh, I uh, insist on Israeli sovereignty uh, in uh, in every part of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, we should insist on sovereignty also on Meron. So uh, why shouldn't we insist uh, on sovereignty in, uh, in Jerusalem? Uh, I, it's not uh, easy to do so. I think that the Israeli policy so far has been, you know, quite successful in uh, trying to uh, uh, adjust to uh, uh, the notion of custodianship, which is not clear, and I, I think it's good it's not clear. Uh, of course, the Jordanians have a say with uh, the works. Uh, now, uh, of course, the Palestinians have uh, some kind of say uh, in, uh, in, on the Temple Mount, and we see other actors trying to intervene, like Turkey, which is not uh, a positive uh, actor in this you know, explosive uh, uh, situation. Indeed. And indeed, the Temple Mount in particular is the most explosive issue. And, and uh, uh, it is this probably issue, the only one issue. Professor Inbar, unfortunately, this issue will have to be discussed in the future as uh, it will not subside anytime soon. Uh, and we have come to the end of the program. So I'd like to thank Colonel Eisen, Professor Inbar, and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us you in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. Studio. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website program. at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media. Please consider supporting TV7 Israel. The